Good morning, City Light. All right, I'm glad you're here. This was a fun week this week. Uh, maybe the highlight for me was uh, the fact that City Light KC had their very first prayer night and interest meeting on Monday night. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, I know on Monday, there were some people excited. All right. Somebody's planting a church. That's what we want to do. Uh, I talked to Jason on Monday before he headed down south. And I think he was a little nervous. He was wondering, is anybody even going to show up to this thing? I mean, this is a high-stakes game for Jason. He's moving out of a church that he loves to a city, a new city with his wife and four kids to pastor a church that does not even exist yet. All right, that's, that's a step of faith. And he's just wondering, is anybody going to join me in this? Anybody going to show up? And praise God, he was faithful. Uh, nearly 40 people showed up to worship and pray and eat together in Kansas City. That was amazing. Yeah, it is so fun to see God on the move. That gathering is the very beginning of a brand new church. And we're praying that through those people, many more would hear the good news of Jesus and find a Savior to believe in, a family to belong to, and a cause to live for. See, like this morning, I'd ask you guys, have you ever experienced a high-stakes situation like Jason did? I have. Um, Sarah and I were newly married when she graduated from college. I was a youth leader at the time. And I remember a few weeks before graduation, uh, I'd taken some of the kids in my youth group to Taco John's to split a six-pack of tacos and a pound of potato olays, because that's what good youth leaders do. Potato olays are like God's grace to youth leaders, all right? So um, I was there, and while I was uh, paying the, the, the ticket... I noticed this little box that uh, said I could win a free car at the county fair. Now, I never win anything like that, um, but I thought I'd put my name in the hat anyway. And uh, it turns out a couple weeks later, I got a letter in the mail that said I was one of 12 finalists. And that means I would get a key that at the county fair I could put in the ignition, and if it started the car, I got to keep it. One in 12 shot at the best kind of new car I can think of. Free. Right? And so that doesn't happen every day. I was pretty excited. And so Sarah came home and I got to talk to her about it. She was excited too, but she's more detail uh, oriented than I am. And so she said, when is this thing? And uh, it turns out that the uh, final, you know, challenge or whatever, the key thing was scheduled for the exact same time as her college graduation ceremony. In opposite directions, right? You guys are sensing the, <laughs> the tension. Uh, so we talked about it, and I said, we decided, hey, neither of us drive very new cars, so we got to take this chance. So I would miss the graduation ceremony and go to the county fair, and then after the fair, okay, give me a chance, all right? <laughs> and then after the fair, I would meet the family back for lunch in the reception, Okay. And so that was the plan all the way up until the night before graduation day when my new father-in-law came to town to stay the night with us. And so the, <laughs> so the next morning, um, is it that obvious how bad I am? <laughs> so the next morning, Sarah got up and got ready, went to do uh, whatever she needed to do before graduation. It's just me and Garland, my new father-in-law, in the house. And I'm getting ready to try my luck with the key. I'm saying my prayers. And uh, just about the time I'm ready to head out the door, he says something like, you know, you can get a new car anytime, but your wife, my daughter, will only graduate college once. (laughs) 
I knew what he was asking me to do, right? And all these thoughts start swirling through my head. You can get a new car anytime. Come on, man. I have never gotten a new car. That is not true. And we got all this college debt now. I'm never going to get a new car, all right? I got to take this shot. She's only going to graduate college once. She's already enrolled in grad school. She'll graduate at least twice. I can always make the next one, you know. I talked to her about this, and she said it's okay. Doesn't that matter? And by God's grace, though I was thinking all these things, he shut my mouth, and I didn't say any of them. And I looked at my bride's dad and saw what he was actually saying to me. What matters more to you, Eric? Your, uh, this new car or your new bride? Mm. I wish I could say that was an easy call for me to make in the moment, okay? I wish that was true, but it just wasn't. There was a battle in my heart and in my mind, and the stakes were high, right? If I went to the county fair, a 1 in 12 shot at a brand new Chevy Cobalt, but I drive a wedge between me and my new family. Or I go to the graduation and uh, my new pops-in-law is pleased with me, but I got to wave goodbye to my new car. The stakes were high. I was stressed. And I'll tell you right now, my, uh, the influence and wisdom of my father-in-law one day, and I watched Sarah walk across the stage, get her degree. I'm glad I did, but if I'm honest, I still don't own a new car and there's no prospect in the near future. And she did graduate again and I was at that one too, but that's not the point. The point is the stakes were high. Have you ever experienced a high stakes situation? Felt the stress of two sides going to war inside you? Well, in Galatians, uh, we're going to see today that we are all in the midst of a high stakes situation. The apostle Paul helped plant the church in um, uh, Galatia. And so if you remember this book, Galatians, in the Bible, it's actually a letter that this church planting pastor named Paul wrote to the church that he helped to start. He started this church by preaching the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And as he preached that good news, the people there heard and believed. They put their faith in Jesus as the Spirit moved among them. And so they started well by hearing with faith in the Spirit. And after that great start, this church planting pastor, Paul, he moves on to start new churches in other places because that's what he did. And after he moved on, there were other people that entered the church and started teaching something different. They started saying, hearing and faith in the Holy Spirit is not enough to be right with God. You need law and circumcision and obedience to actually be right with God. Now, Paul said that's a different gospel altogether, if it even is one. That is a distorted gospel. And that distorted gospel of works and law and obedience started creeping into the hearts of the people. It's kind of like falling in love with a new car when you should be loving your new bride on graduation day, right? Something's distorted in them. And so now there's the distorted gospel competing with the true gospel for the hearts and lives of the people in the church. This was not an insignificant matter. In fact, Paul was very clear about what was at stake. He said it this way, I warn you as I warned you before, That those who do such things, the works of the flesh, 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means your place in the kingdom of God is at stake. That means that your freedom from the law of religion and the isolation of rebellion is at stake. It means that that your uh, inheritance as an adopted son or daughter of the unrivaled creator king of all that was and is and will ever be, that, that incredible inheritance is at stake. And what was true for them then is true for us now. What you believe about Jesus matters. What you believe about how he saves men and women like you and me, it's significant. It matters if our lives are marked by the works of the flesh or by the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, City Light, the stakes are high. The battle for your heart and your life is on. And so I want to look closer at Galatians to see how Paul described this battle to them, this battle between a distorted gospel and the true gospel. So let's read verses 16 and 17 again. Paul said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It is pretty clear how the battle lines are drawn. The spirit and the flesh, or more precisely, the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. That's the battle. They are opposed to each other. So let's take a look at each side. We'll start with the spirit. We talk about the Spirit um, quite a bit around here. We often say that we want to be a gospel-centered, Spirit-empowered church. And we didn't make that up. It comes right from the Bible. In fact, I think that's exactly what uh, Galatians is calling us to right here. Stay true, hold fast to the true gospel, and walk by the Spirit. Live a life empowered by the Spirit. And so a gospel-centered, Spirit-empowered church is what we want to be. But just because we talk about the Holy Spirit around here every so often doesn't mean that he's well understood. And so if you'll go with me, I want to give you just a quick overview of what a few verses in the Bible say about the Holy Spirit and see if we can find out and discern what does the Holy Spirit desire? What is he about? So, number one, the Holy Spirit guides us to the truth about Jesus. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now what that means for us at City Light is we don't depend on the preachers or the city group leaders or the City Light kids leaders to declare uh, the truth about Jesus on their own, to guide people to the truth about Jesus on their own. We pray and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to move in and through us and you to guide other people to the truth about Jesus. He wants to declare it. He uses his word and his people to do that. He wants to make Jesus known. 
The Holy Spirit guides us to the truth about Jesus. That's number one. Number two, uh, in John chapter three, well, number two, the Holy Spirit works new birth, okay? John chapter three, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That sounds a lot like what Paul just said, right? You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what's at stake. Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul said, or vice versa. Paul said what Jesus said. Uh, He says the, the kingdom of God is at stake. Jesus says you can't enter it unless you're born of water and the Spirit, And so what that means for us is if you're sitting here in this room and you've given your life to Jesus, you've called him your king, you trust in him as your savior, that's not true of you because you simply made a decision on your own one day. We believe that's true of you because the Holy Spirit worked in you. And he worked in you a new birth and made you part of a new family, namely the family of God. And so if you're sitting here, yes, I'm so happy that you made a decision, but we also are happy that the Holy Spirit works in us and calls us and draws us and guides us as we do. And man, this is just a good time to say, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, you're kind of skeptical, but you're here and wondering, um, I I just got to believe it might be the Holy Spirit working in you right now. He might be calling you and drawing you and guiding you toward Jesus himself even now. Man, if that's you, would you talk to somebody about it today? Come talk to me or Doug or anybody uh, that you know that's trusted in Jesus. We would love to pray for you and to walk with you on that path. The Holy Spirit really does work new birth in real people even today. The Bible tells us. Okay, so the Holy Spirit guides us to the truth about Jesus. He works new birth. Uh, Number three, the Holy Spirit changes hearts, and he does it in two ways, okay? First, he convicts us of sin. Look at John 16 with me again. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, That means that once the Holy Spirit has guided us to the truth and worked new birth in us, he begins to change our hearts. He convicts us of our sin. In other words, he makes it known to us when we rebel against God. When we stray from the path he created us to walk, we're convicted of that. We know it. We can sense it and feel it. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but he changes our hearts in at least one more way. We'll end with this verse. The Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. Uh, Jesus' friend Peter described it like this. The sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, sanctification is just a big theology word that means to be made more like Jesus. And so uh, what this tells us is that when the Holy Spirit moves in you and changes your heart, he doesn't just alert you when you make a wrong move. He also forms Christ in you. He changes your heart on both sides. Uh, this, This means that we don't obey Jesus just because he's commanded us to, although that is right and good and should be enough on its own. We also obey Jesus because we are being made more like him. We're being changed from the inside out. Because we want to be more like him, we want to obey him. 
So he changes your desires from uh, wanting yourself to wanting Jesus. He convicts us of our sin. He works new birth. He guides us to the truth. Do you see the trend here? The work of the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. And so from these few verses, we might say it this way. The desire of the Spirit is that we know the truth about Jesus, we believe in Jesus, and we become more like Jesus. The Spirit is all about making us like Christ. All right? So that's the Spirit. Uh, On the other side of this battle, it's the Spirit versus the flesh. So what about the flesh? Well, here, the flesh is, Paul uses the flesh as kind of a catch-all way of talking about our sinful nature. Okay, the Bible describes our sinful nature in Ephesians like this. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Now that means we are sinners by nature. The Bible's telling us that we did not start out good and then decide one day to sin And then because of that, become sinners. The Bible says that's not how it works. In fact, it works the opposite way. We start out sinners, and because that's our nature, we sin. That's what the Bible is telling us is going on. This sinful nature baked into the bedrock of who we are, it creates passions and desires in our minds and our bodies. The passions of my flesh are all about me. And the desires of your flesh are all about you. The flesh desires to lift itself high and please itself. And Galatians gives us a list of what happens when that controls our lives. Uh, uh, Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. It's clear, unmistakable. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The Bible says that, man, when that flesh is working in you, when it works from the inside out, it's evident because we have distorted sexual desires and distorted spiritual desires and distorted relational desires and distorted recreational desires and that's all just the beginning. Paul ends the list by saying, and things like these. The point he's making is that our sin nature creeps and seeps into every area of our lives. We are soaked in sin to the core. That's the flesh. And so the battle is on. It's the spirit versus the flesh. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. The spirit's opposed to the flesh. They are against each other. The spirit wants to lift high Jesus, and the flesh wants to lift high itself. And I would just ask you today, have you ever felt that battle in your own heart? You feel that tension in your own life. I do. I'll I'll tell you uh, a couple ways. Just this last week, I went to a restaurant for lunch, and I had a new cashier. I really like getting the new cashiers because I know that starting a new job is hard, and so I just like to be encouraging. You're doing great, right? And so that's where I am. I'm at the counter, and she's trying to take my order, and I repeated it probably five or six times, and it still came out wrong. 
And at that point, there was a battle in me. Am I going to get angry? I said this six times, and it's still wrong, or am I going to stay patient, right? The battle is on. Or uh, when you're sitting at your computer at work, you know that they sign your paycheck because they expect you to sit there and work for them the entire time you're at that screen. And yet, in the middle of the afternoon, when you're kind of tired from lunch and the day is long and you're bored, Facebook or Pinterest or ESPN, or if you're like me, the BBC, starts calling your name and you're just one click away. The battle's on. What are you going to do? Are you going to work like you're working for the Lord? Or are you going to live for yourself? Satisfy the flesh. Maybe just one more. Uh, You've experienced those times like at Citigroup when you feel like you've connected with Jesus and his people, and it was awesome. And then you get in your car to go home, and before you get home, you've already had a fight with your spouse, and then getting the kids in bed is a nightmare. And it seems like one moment you can be enjoying lifting Jesus high, and the very next moment, you're losing it. I'm losing it because I want to live for myself, my own comfort, my own sleep. The battle rages inside. Have you ever experienced that? You know what it's like. Man, City Light, I just want to tell you, if you know the struggle, the flesh against the spirit, there is good news for you in Galatians today. Would you look at verse 24? I would say it like this, though the battle is on, the victory is won, all right? Here it is, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, if you're in Jesus, the flesh is crucified. That distorted, sinful nature inside you, it's been nailed to the cross, put in its place, and left there to die. It is dead, no longer alive. And Galatians tells us that the key to victory over the flesh is not circumcision, it's crucifixion. These false teachers were saying, no, just trim up the outside as you trim up the inside. That's good enough. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. We, I, want, I want your flesh crucified from the inside out with all of its passions and desires. The key to victory over the flesh isn't circumcision, it's crucifixion. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he died there so that our flesh might be put to death too. That is the good news of the gospel. And so I just tell you today, man, it's uh, the, the false teachers in Galatians, they also would have said their battle was against the flesh. You know that? They also would have said, man, we want to we fight the flesh too. We're just not going to do it with the spirit. We're going to do it with the law. They thought if we could follow enough rules, we can contain the sinful nature. They thought if the rules are good enough, then we can become good moral people. We can be bad people that look good. They thought, uh, man, if we just have the right rules, we can build a cage inside our hearts that keep our sin nature locked inside. And circumcision was a sign of commitment to that effort. We trim off the flesh on the outside as we're trying to trim it off on the inside. But 
Paul says that is a distorted gospel. That is not what it's about. Paul says Jesus didn't live and die and rise again so that we can trim off and contain our flesh, our sinful nature. Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we can crucify our sinful nature. Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we could have a whole new nature inside us. See, the false teachers said they wanted to take bad people and make them look good. And that's, at its best, that's all the law can accomplish. But the true gospel says that's not even the point. It's not about looking good on the outside when your inside is still dirty and broken. The true gospel puts the flesh to death and gives new life in the spirit. Jesus isn't about going, changing people from bad to good. He's about changing people from dead to alive. That is good news. So City Light, the battle is on and the victory is won in Jesus. He has put to death the sinful uh, nature of the flesh and anyone who belongs to him can have life in the spirit. So, the battle is on, but the victory is won. You might say, well, then why do we still feel the battle raging right now? Eric, you just gave us three examples of yourself experiencing the battle just in the last week. So what do we do when the battle rages on still? If the flesh is dead, why does it still feel alive? What do we do? Well, Galatians does not leave us hanging. It says that though the victory is won, our walk isn't done. All right, there's the three points. The battle's on, the victory is won, but our walk isn't done. So though the flesh is dead, we can still fall into its ways and believe its lies. Anybody ever see the movie Weekend at Bernie's? Anybody remember this movie? came out in the late 80s, I think. Um, the, there were two guys who got invited to go on vacation with their boss to a beach house, his beach house. And when they show up, uh, their boss is in the house, but he's dead. And instead of uh, reckoning with the fact, living in light of the fact that, that their boss was dead, they instead pretend he's alive and carry him around acting as though he's alive for the rest of the movie. And it's pretty funny, but it's only funny because it's totally ridiculous. Why would you ever do that? But that's a picture of what I think we do with the flesh, right? It's been put to death, but we carry it around and act as though it's still alive, we still give in to its ways and believe its lies, even though it's been put to death. So how do we live like the flesh is actually crucified? How do we live like it's dead and let it go? Well, Paul gets really practical, and I think he says the same thing, uh, essentially, four different times. So track with me and see if you see the theme. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see the trend? Walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That term, keep in step, uh, in the original language, it evokes this imagery of a soldier marching in step with the uh, battalion or, or whatever I'm 
I should learn my words before I speak them into a microphone. <laughs> it's a soldier marching in rank, right? You keep in step. So we live by walking and keeping in step as we follow the spirit flesh behind us in our lives. And so, man, if that's how, if we put the flesh behind us uh, and live like it's dead, we do that by living like there's something else alive in us, leading us. How do we know if we're doing that? Well, Paul says there's evidence. What's on the inside works its way out. He gave us evidence of the flesh. Now he gives us fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, if we live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, His fruit will grow in our lives. And so it leaves me with a final question. If we live like the flesh is dead by walking with the Spirit, and there's evidence of that Spirit uh, in the fruit that He bears in our lives, how do we follow? Man, if we want to see more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, or if we want, uh, if we want to ask Him for that, how do, we, how do we know? How do we keep in step like a soldier? Um, Maybe the most compelling description of the Holy Spirit in all of Galatians is in chapter 4. It goes like this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the son. That means we keep in step like a soldier and we follow like a son. You know that, what that's like. I have a five-year-old son. His name's Jonah. And this summer, he is playing t-ball for the very first time. And a few days before his first game, he wanted to go out and practice. Daddy, will you go out and practice with me? And so into the blazing heat, we went. And I stood out in front of Jonah, and I started explaining to him the rules of the game. If you've ever tried to explain rules to a five-year-old, you know how that went, right? I wasn't two sentences in before he was looking at the clouds, watching the birds, waiting until he actually got to play the game. And so I had to change my strategy. I picked up the bat and said, okay, Jonah, watch me and do what I do. And so I line up my knuckles, I square up my shoulders and step and swing. And he's got his bat and he watched me and then he did the same thing. And after doing that for a little while, I said, okay, put the bat down. We'll pick up your glove and a ball. And I said, okay, we're going to throw this and catch it. Watch me do what I do. And so he watched me and he'd square his shoulders and try to throw it. And he didn't do it perfectly. In fact, he didn't even do it really well the first couple times, right? But as a dad, that didn't disappoint me. I wasn't upset. My job to, was to celebrate and correct, to inspire and encourage and instruct. I wanted my son out there with me, and I said, learn by watching, right? That's what it's like keeping in step like a son. It's so much less about a list of rules that you must follow, and it's so much more about watching and becoming. And so I'm going to end today with just a few real practical ways. How do we keep in step like a son? How do we follow like we are sons and daughters of a heavenly father? Um, first, I'd encourage you, would you just talk to your father? Oftentimes, we call it prayer, but prayer doesn't have to be fancy as long as it's honest, right? So just talk to him. Um, one really cool way to get a conversation going with the heavenly father is to actually write down your prayers, Whatever you're praying for, asking for, praising him for, just write that down and then watch for an answer. When God answers you, 
write down how he answered, what he did. If he, if he met your needs or answered your requests. If you do that, if you write it down, you can actually see a dialogue between you and your father. Would you talk to him? Uh, it's, a, it's a really cool way to keep in step. Um, next, we talk to him and we get to know him. All right, there's um, probably no Polaroids in a box in the attic that you can dig out and dust off of Jesus, right? That's one way I like to see pictures of my dad when he was young. It's actually not Polaroids, it's little slides, you know, that go in the carousel. Um, There's none of that, but there's lots of stories and pictures of Jesus in the Bible. And so this week, I would say, man, would you pick up your Bible and get to know him. Get to know the one you want to follow. Maybe open to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those are each stories of Jesus, accounts of his life. Man, as you read those verses, just take note of the situations that Jesus was in and how he responded. Watch for how the fruit of the Spirit was exhibited in his life and pray that the Spirit would do the same in yours. Get to know the one that you follow. And so lastly, I would just say, um, Maybe for some of us, keeping in step with the Spirit looks like letting Him love you and lead you. Uh, For some of you, I think probably the first step is to just stop pushing Him away and let Him lead. Keeping in step requires that you actually take a step, right? You can't stand still. It's like Jonah. He never uh, would have gotten to watch me swing a bat if he had stayed in the house. He had to come outside. And so we got to go outside. We got to keep in step. Um, so maybe if you're a Sunday morning only uh, Christian, I'm so glad you're here. I love having you here. I hope you get something out of these Sunday mornings. But I would just encourage you today, would you maybe take a step to keep in step with the Spirit outside of these walls? Maybe this week, read a verse or say a prayer or talk to somebody about Jesus or hum a worship song. Any step, but maybe just take a step in the Spirit this week and see what it does in your heart. Maybe for some of you, you've just never determined, I'm going to follow the lead of the Spirit. I want to keep in step with Him. And you're here this morning and you say, man, if, there's, if the stakes are that high, if there really is life in the Spirit, but death in the flesh, I don't want to see what that life is like. Maybe this week for the first time, would you just take a step? Maybe today, just pray and ask Jesus, man, what would it look like to have your Spirit live in me that I might follow Him? If you really do work new birth, then work that in me. And you could do that even today. We uh, get the blessing of keeping in step with the Spirit. Friends, the battle is on for your heart and life. The stakes are high. It's the kingdom of God that's at stake. But the victory is already won. In Jesus, your sinful nature can be crucified. The flesh has been crucified. and So we're set free from it. And now he's given us his Spirit that we might walk in that freedom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, awesome God, I thank you that you have not left us alone, that you looked out at us in our broken and fallen and sinful state, and you saw us, and you didn't leave us there. First, you sent your son so that he might live the life we couldn't live and die the death we should have died, 
to crucify his flesh and ours. His flesh was crucified so that ours might be. God, I thank you that even after that happened, uh, you didn't leave us alone to wait for his return, but you sent your spirit to live in us, to guide us to the truth, to work new birth and change our hearts. Oh God, I pray that you would make our church, this family, your body, a people marked by the fruit of your spirit. Each other see uh, our church, would they see a place that loves each other and loves the city? Would they see people who are peacemakers, not debaters or challengers or arguers, but peacemakers? God, would they see people who have joy in following and talking about their Savior and their Lord. And God, would, it, would we not be a people who live out of obligation and rule and law, but we live in freedom and joy granted to us by your Spirit? Oh God, would you change our hearts? Would you give us life? And God, for the people here who have never known that life, who just never decided to follow you, God, I pray that you would guide them to the truth even today. Would you make it real to them? And as you do, would you work in their hearts to cause them to be reborn into your family? And God, for people who are here even this morning wrestling with that, is this the spirit working with me or am I, uh, am I just being fooled? Is this real or is it fake? I just don't know. God, would you convince them? If that's you, would you just ask God? Would you speak to him? Would you pray even now? God, are you real? If you are, confirm yourself to me. I want to give my life to something that can, that can bring me love and joy and peace and patience and all those things rather than all the works of the flesh. He will answer because he is good. Oh, God, we thank you that you've won the victory on our behalf and you sent your spirit that we might walk following your lead all of our days. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.